All you who are thirsty, this is the place for water. All you who are hungry, this is the place to be fed. Here God speaks, and all who listen will have life. Let us worship God. Summon the day to dawn. You teach the morning to waken the earth. Great is your name. Great is your love. For you the valleys shall sing for joy. The trees of the field shall clap their hands. Great is your name. Great is your love. For you the monarchs of the earth shall bow. The 
poor and persecuted shall shout for joy. love and mercy shall last forever, fresh as the morning, sure as the sunrise. O oh God, you have set before us a great hope that your kingdom will come on earth, and have taught us to pray for its coming. Make us ready to thank you for the signs of its dawning and to pray and work for the perfect day when your will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Welcome. Hospitality is one of the earliest gifts of the church one of the gifts that Jesus offered all who followed him. And this church offers you, those of you who are sitting here and those of you who are watching us from afar, the gift of hospitality. We open our arms and we open our hearts as we open our doors to all. Paul wrote to the ancient church in Philadelphia, I set before you an open door that no one will close. Our door is open to all, and it will not be closed. There are a few announcements, one of which is a bittersweet one in a way, which is that next Sunday, the 3rd of September, will be our organist choir director, Andrew Shen's last Sunday with us. We hope you'll all be here. And after the worship service, there will be a special coffee hour to remember the gifts that Andrew has given to this congregation and to thank him for his 17 years with us and to wish him Godspeed in his new work at Redeemer Church in Bryn Mawr. Also on Sunday, September 10th, a week from next Sunday, we will have our welcome back lunch that's hosted by our diaconate after the 11 o'clock service. There will be more information about that lunch uh, on the website and in the e-newsletter that you will receive tomorrow. After the lunch, the Band of Boomers group will go on a guided walk along the Philadelphia Rail Trail. So if any of you who are boomers or who wish to be boomers want to go on a walk on the rail trail, uh, please join us for that. Again, there will be more information on the website. And finally, you know that upcoming, we have the 325th anniversary of our congregation. And in order to help celebrate that, and you'll see an insert in your bulletin about this, on September 21st, there will be a special celebration at the Presbyterian Historical Society here in the city. And part of that will be a talk by Princeton Theological Seminary Professor Hugh Carter, who is a historian, a church historian, and will talk with us about the history and importance of this congregation. That event does require a registration. They cannot accept more than a certain number of people, so we urge you, if you're interested in attending, to call the church office or to go on the website and follow the link that you will find there to register for the reception. 
And finally, I want to give deep thanks to Elder Diane Rogers, my dear friend and a longtime uh, wonderful member of this congregation for being the liturgist for us today in the service. Diane and I recently returned with the choir from England and Scotland, and you'll notice that in the liturgy today there are some remembrances of the liturgy of the Church of Scotland. Jesus says to us, each one, go and sin no more. Come and follow me. In humility and mutual support, let us declare responsively our shortcomings to one another. Holy God, maker of all, have mercy on us. Jesus Christ, servant of the poor, Holy Spirit, breath of life, have mercy on us. Let us now, in silence, confess our faults and admit our frailty. Before God, with the people of God, I confess to my brokenness, to the ways I wound my life, the lives of others, and the life of the world. Give you, Christ renew you, and the Spirit enable you to grow in love. Amen. Having confessed to God and to one another, we claim the promise of God's forgiveness. Friends, believe the promise of the gospel. Today's gospel lesson is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, 
and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The epistle lesson is taken from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Listen to this inviting and inclusive message. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, on the basis of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith, that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the encourager in encouragement, the giver in sincerity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Amen. Today's Old Testament lesson comes from the book of Exodus. It's a story that is in part familiar, I think, to many of you, and in part maybe not so familiar. We begin reading in the first chapter, verse 8. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase, and in the event of war will join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them and to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramesses, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks they imposed on them. 
Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, he shall live. But the midwives feared God, and they did not do as the king commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and they give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded to all his people, Every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him three months. When she could not hide him any longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. Her sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying, and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrew's children, she said. Then her sister said to the Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's own mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her own son. She named him Moses, because, she said, I drew him out of the water. This is the word of the Lord.
us pray. O oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations and thinking of our spirits be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. When I was in my late 30s, a single woman, deeply engaged in my calling as a minister, there was a sadness that hung at the edge of my life and tinged my days. I was not a mother. Many of my friends and classmates had married and begun families. And I knew that I was missing, perhaps had missed, the joy of bearing and raising a child. In part, I think this was because the primary role in my culture and in my family that had been set before me was being a wife and mother. It was what society said women did to be fully satisfied and Many single women and married women without children have experienced these feelings, I think, whether or not they wanted to have children or not. For me, the feelings became even more poignant and painful when my younger sister became pregnant with my nephew, Jeremy. What I was missing was visible right in front of me as I walked and waded through the months of her pregnancy, writing sermons and teaching scripture from a distance, and feeling excluded from this primal act of birthing a child. I felt the distance between my sister and me grow. Then tiny Jeremy was born. And I loved him instantly. Just weeks after his birth, I remember we went to Ocean City, New Jersey for our family vacation. And I remember carrying him along the shoreline of the Atlantic Ocean in a baby sling, holding him close against my chest and introducing him to the sound of the waves washing against the shore. He has loved the ocean ever since, and we have gone there many times together. So began wonderful years as an aunt to Jeremy and then later to my niece Carly, supporting the birth of new life. So began my career as a midwife. I have had the privilege of midwifing other children through the years, including some in this congregation, like Olivia Johnson, the daughter of Bill and Jen Johnson, and Carrie Rogers, Diane and John's daughter, and now her own daughter, Maddie, assisting them to be born into the life of this community and to grow and live in faith. 
Many of you have also been midwives to our children. I have seen Jordana laughing as she lifts Maddie into the air at coffee hour or leads her niece Ivy by the hand up to watch Andrew play the organ. Or Jeannie Boehner last Sunday at coffee hour holding Monique Canier's new son Oliver while he slept on her chest. And I think of the many of you who have taught Sunday school or worshiped with our children at celebration service or read with neighborhood kids in the Reading Buddies program. Midwifing our children is a calling we all share. Whether we are biological parents or not, bringing our children to life, giving them a loving world in which to live. The text from Exodus tells the story of two midwives, Shipra and Pua, who played a crucial role in the story of Israel. We read at the beginning of the text that there was a new king in Egypt that's always dangerous, one who did not know Joseph. A king who was arrogant, powerful, afraid of losing his power and ready to preserve it at all costs. Times had changed since Joseph was favored. The Hebrew community in exile was riddled with slavery and death. They had deteriorated from being welcome guests to being feared aliens, enslaved by the new pharaoh. And out of his fear of losing power to this immigrant minority that was fast becoming a majority, he ordered that all male Hebrew babies be killed at birth as they were being born. Clever and courageous, the two midwives who we read feared God, and here the Hebrew means not fear in the sense that we know it, but reverence, who reverenced and honored God. These two women tricked the Pharaoh into believing that Hebrew women were so rough and so uncouth and so primitive, not genteel like the Egyptian women, that they gave birth too quickly before the midwives had time to arrive. A wink, a nod, a shrug of the shoulder, a strategy. There was nothing we could do, sir. Undeterred, the pharaoh then ordered that all male babies be thrown into the Nile and drowned. Enter three more women into the story. A Levite mother has a boy and hides him for three months, and when she couldn't hide him anymore, she ensconced him safely in a papyrus basket and set it drifting on the river. The baby's sister, Miriam, followed the basket from the rushes along the bank and saw the pharaoh's own daughter take pity on the crying baby and pull him to safety. Miriam quickly offers to find a nurse and brings his own mother to nurse him, to midwife him to his young manhood. 
when the Pharaoh's daughter adopts him as her own son and names him Moses. And Moses grows, child of two worlds, Israelite and Egyptian. As they say, it takes a village. It takes a community. In this case, a community of women, of diverse gifts, religions, and ethnicities, single and married, royal and working class, immigrant Hebrew women of little status, and the majority Egyptian woman who is the daughter of the king. Midwives, all of them, saving Moses, who would himself become the leader and savior of his people, freeing them from slavery and leading them safely through wilderness years to a new and prosperous promised land. And it was not just Moses they saved. These women saved the boys of Israel, who grew to become the men of the Exodus and passed through the Red Sea and organized and led the Hebrews in the desert years and helped establish the new community in the new land. In their actions, these five women were midwives to a new world. This is such a hidden text such a gem of a text in Exodus about these five women who changed the world. And there's irony in it. Pharaoh was worried about the boy babies and said, it's okay, you don't have to kill the girl babies. And yet it was the women who acted for salvation. And of course, as Pharaoh prepared to drown all the boy children, we see in our minds the future coming of the crossing of the Red Sea when Pharaoh and his troops were themselves drowned in the sea. Now we come to the text from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. He writes to the Christians in Rome about transforming the world, not conforming to the world. And how do they do this? By presenting their bodies as a living sacrifice. The work of transformation as of midwifery is bodily work. Life in Christ is embodied. We live it in our hands, in our voices, in our feet, in our ears, in our eyes. Our living sacrifice is not a slain animal on an altar or a block of stone that we bow down before. It is rather the work of our own bodies, which becomes the body of our work. In the work of transformation, we will discern, Paul says, the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
as Shipra and Pua discovered what was good and acceptable and perfect and then did it. This embodied work of transforming worlds is always done in community as the five women in Exodus worked together in community. We do not work as separated individuals, but as connected, intertwined people, woven together by God's calling. In such a community, all gifts are valued and all gifts are needed. All gifts are different. None is more or less important than the other. Paul names the gifts of prophecy or truth-telling, the gift of ministry, the gift of teaching, the gift of exhorting or encouraging, the gift of generosity, the gift of leadership, the gift of compassion or cheerfulness. And because all gifts are needed to make up the body, I think we do not have the option to not give our gifts. We do not have the option to not give our gifts, to not participate in the community. We may not withhold our gifts because we are too busy, or too tired, or too old, or because we do not agree with others. We are asked to give our gifts on behalf of the body as a whole. And here in this church, that may mean things like agreeing to be nominated for session, or for the diaconate, or to serve on a committee, or to be an usher, or to volunteer in a mission program. In this work of transforming a world and not conforming to it, the church itself becomes a body of work. The church becomes Christ's body. Our church becomes an offering to God in the work of transforming the world. David Fredrickson, who is a professor of New Testament Luther Seminary in St. Paul, says that this kind of transforming work and thinking combines two things, action and imagination. Doing and creativity. This is certainly true for Shepra and Pua, whose imaginations thought of how to trick a pharaoh and whose action to go to him and to speak to him saved hundreds of babies. I think we have clear examples of this combination of imagination and action in our own congregation's recent history. Manna, where our community envisioned a feeding program for those with AIDS and established it with budget, staff, and volunteers until it grew to transform a city. Our LGBT group, long years ago, 
where courageous members long before gay and lesbian and bisexual and transgender men and women felt safe or welcome in the church, envisioned and formed a welcoming support group and acted through education and session vote to set a policy here to ordain leaders regardless of their gender identity. Reading Buddies, where members imagined a partnership with neighborhood schools to bring volunteer adults together with kids to give them strong reading skills and new friendships. The leaders of these ministries, midwives, all of them, What is before us now in this church, in the work of midwifery, of transformation? Where can our church lead? Where can it make a transformative difference? Where can it support new life in a society which seems so riven with death? What is our calling today? Is it through countering gun violence? Is it through countering climate destruction and establishing environmental justice? Is it through a policy that is fair and compassionate on immigration or something different? Our text puts these questions before us as a session, as a diaconate, before our staff, before our whole congregation. Let me finish by sharing two examples of bodies that I think have joined imagination and action in the work of transformation. One is the Church of the Savior in Washington, D.C. Some of you may be familiar with it. In 1946, Army Chaplain Gordon Cosby returned from World War II and felt the calling to form a church that took seriously the teachings of Jesus. Seven people responded to his call. And in 1950, with 19 members, they bought a brownstone on Massachusetts Avenue in Washington, D.C., and began worship services. Through the 1960s, they became active in their community, serving the poor, the homeless, addressing civil rights and racial injustice. And today, they have eight worshiping communities, each with its own calling, its own leadership, its own cluster of mission groups, which are formed whenever two or three people feel called to address a specific issue. They believe that everyone is called to transformative work and that everyone has gifts that the church community can help them identify and use. The Church of the Savior now has today midwifes more than 40 ministries. 
many of which have become nonprofit organizations with their own boards. The second example is closer to home. Several years ago, Margaret Somerville, a longtime member here and now a minister, dreamed of creating a group of people from many faith traditions who could pray together, learn from one another, share their spiritual practices, and engage in social justice together. She called the group Alignment, believing that through its practices, people of many faiths could align themselves with the divine and with one another. Through Margaret's midwifing, Alignment has grown and partnered with leaders in other faiths. It offers sessions of interfaith spiritual practices every Sunday evening, as well as seasonal online calendars of daily spiritual practice, book discussions, and seasonal retreats. Imagination and action, and available to all of us, inviting us to share our own gifts in an interfaith, cross-cultural community. Dr. Frank Crouch, former dean of Moravian Theological Seminary in Bethlehem, writes that transformational living comes down to what Jesus told the lawyer before he told him the story of the Good Samaritan. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Our very bodies are the primary location of this work. We love and we transform the world by what we do each day. Where we walk, what we spend money for, who we welcome into our homes, who we speak with and what we say, how we vote, what we read, what we eat, what we buy, what we cry about, who we listen to. Mary Oliver offers us such loving advice for this work in her poem, The Wild Geese. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. I will offer slightly different words. Now, today, in this place, wherever you are watching or listening, God is calling you. God is calling the midwives. Amen.
Today we proclaim our faith in words taken from the Scots Confession of 1560, written by John Knox to affirm the beliefs and principles of the Christian Reformation. We confess and acknowledge one only God, to whom only we must cleave, whom only we must serve, whom only we must worship, and in whom only we must put our trust, who is eternal, infinite, unmeasurable, incomprehensible, omnipotent, invisible, one in substance, and yet distinct in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, by whom we confess and believe all things in heaven and in earth, as well visible as invisible, to have been created, to be retained in their being, and to be ruled and guided by his inscrutable providence, to such end as his eternal wisdom, goodness, and justice has appointed them, to the manifestation of his own glory. When the fullness of time came, God sent his Son, his eternal wisdom, the substance of his own glory, in this world, who took the nature of manhood of the substance of a woman, to wit, of a virgin, and that by the operation of the Holy Ghost. And so was born the just seed of David, the angel of the great counsel of God, the very Messiah promised, whom we acknowledge and confess Emmanuel, very God and very man, two perfect natures united and joined in one person. God has abundantly blessed us and called us to be a community that honors each other, to serve others with joy, to share our love and material possessions. You may come forward with your offering now or at the end of the service, or you may give online.
offer you these humble gifts, signs of your goodness and mercy. Receive them with our gratitude, that through us all people may know the riches of your love in the Word made flesh. Amen. Let us pray. Mother in God, with joy we give thanks for our many blessings. We are grateful for our families, for our homes, for our daily bread. We are blessed with our church leaders and give thanks for Baron, for Laura, for Andrew, for Barbara, for Jerry, and for Ken. And we ask that you nourish them and guide them and love them. We give thanks in silence for someone sitting near to us in this sanctuary. We honor the biblical midwives whose goodness and mercy spared the lives of many, as well as those among us today who work for healing and for justice. Midwives, mid-husbands, mid-sisters, and mid-brothers. We give thanks for this beloved community as we work together to understand and experience what it is to worship you, O Lord. You have given us various and abundant gifts to share, of skills, of talents, and of love. Gracious God, rejoicing in all your blessings, trusting in your loving care for all, we, we bring you our prayers for the world. We pray for the creation, for those who rebuild where things have been destroyed, for those who fight hunger, poverty, and disease, for those who have power to bring change for the better and to renew hope. We pray for our country, for our president and his advisors, for those who frame our laws and shape our common life, for those who keep the peace and administer justice, for those who teach and those who heal, for all who serve this, our community. We pray for people in need for the families of the eight people in Philadelphia who lost their lives by gun violence this week, for those for whom life is a bitter struggle, those whose lives are clouded by death or loss, by pain or disability, by discouragement or fear, by shame or rejection, and especially for those sitting near us in this place whom we now name in our hearts before you. We pray for those in the circle of friendship and love around us, for children and parents, for sisters and brothers, for friends, neighbors, and co-workers. We pray for the church in its stand with the poor, in its love for the outcast and ashamed, in its service to the sick and neglected, in its proclamation of the gospel, 
in this land, in this place. Eternal God, we give thanks to you through the great community of faith into which you have brought us. For those who have kept safe our scriptures, gathered our songs, built our sanctuaries, and taught us to know and trust you. Grant us grace in our day to live as faithfully as they did in theirs, and to provide as generously for those who will come after us, until you bring us with all your people into the fullness of our eternal joy, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I invite all of you who are here in the sanctuary to join us for coffee hour and conversation in Old Buttonwood Hall, reached by the door to your left.
you are all welcome. And now go out into a world that does not need us to conform to it, but to transform it. And take up your calling as midwives, and where there is new life that you can help bring, bring it. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.